0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Clark and Miller English Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. And if this is your first time listening, which it might be because we do get new listeners all the time, if this is your first time, then welcome. Good to have you here. Um, I don't really want to talk too much at the beginning here. I think the episode today will speak for itself. It's all about signals and flags and bright lights and destroying the universe with with really crazy sentences which are not really that crazy i'm just being a dramatic for effect but you will probably enjoy that because it's fun i enjoy it um so okay very quickly i just want to say you know um this is part of uh clarkandmiller.com uh we have also we also have interesting mistake there We have also, we also have, we're actually talking about that today. We also have a uh, a blog which uh, has plenty of uh, sort of basically free English lessons. So go and check that out. And we have the podcast and uh, you can also uh, get a copy of my book, 102 Little Drawings That Will Help You Remember English Rules Forever. Probably hundreds of people have bought this book and they, as far as we can tell, have really enjoyed it and hopefully have got a lot out of it Um, got a lot out of it very strange speaking today obviously so um, yeah go and check it out you can you can download a copy of the book you can check out the free blog and obviously you can listen to this podcast okay so without further ado let's go let's get started and talk about today's topic of destroying the universe with word order in English. Okay, here we go. Okay, so some sentences can blow up the universe. There you go. I'm starting with a really incredible statement. And it's it's, it's not really technically correct, is it? The universe doesn't even blow up. Um, but yeah, there are some sentences that basically I hear this a lot from the student from my, I hear them a lot from my students. They sound wrong. They don't sound wrong because they are wrong. They sound wrong because it's, I know that's not what the student meant with it. So I'm just going to go straight ahead and give you some examples. Uh, think about these sentences. I'm giving the pen also to him. I'm giving the pen also to him. And you have only to look at her. You have only to look at her. Okay, so we have these kind of odd sentences, right? I'm giving the pen also to him. You have only to look at her. It sounds weird. It sounds strange. You sound like some sort of wizard or mystic from a Tolkien, a J.R.R. Tolkien book. So yeah, what's wrong with these? Why do they sound weird? Well, technically they're not wrong uh anyone can hear this and probably understand exactly what you mean but they blow up the universe they attract too much attention they make too much of a point it's like they have a big sign saying it you're 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 saying plenty uh, you're You're speaking. You're having a normal conversation. You're coming out with some normal sentences. And then suddenly you say something like that. And it's like a massive bright arrow pointing at this sentence. And I'm sure it's not what you meant. You wanted a nice, normal, unnoticeable sentence. Um, These these sentences and we'll talk about why they sound so strange we're going to talk about that later but these sentences okay they're wrong they attract a lot of attention they blow up the universe but they can be a powerful weapon a powerful weapon in expressing yourself and according to spider-man with great power comes great responsibility so you need to know how to use that power well Language is amazing. Sometimes we don't realize what a finely tuned machine it is. These mistakes actually send very special signals. The question is, are they the signals you want? Like I said, these sentences are not incorrect, but they're not often what you want. Before we answer that, before we get anywhere into that, let's, I just want to take a step back. And we're going to look into the history of English. So, in English, you probably have noticed the order of words. The word order in English is very, 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 very strict. It's basically subject, verb, object. You got a verb, you got to put the object next. You can't put it before. There are some exceptions, but generally speaking, we can't really move the words around in English. Um, English did actually used to be a lot more free. Um, before the Norman invasion of 1066, which was um, when French-speaking, basically French-speaking Vikings um, invaded the country, uh, we actually had... More cases in English. We our our sentence structure was more free. We could move words around, and that was because of a case system. We still have a bit of a case system in English. Um, we say like "I went to the shop." We say "I," um, uh, but we also say "He really likes me." Right? So "I" is at the subject. "Me" is in the as, as an object. So we still have a bit of a case uh, system. Um, but yeah, because of uh, English, Old English, uh, because Old English used to have a lot of cases and it wasn't just on personal pronouns like I and me and uh, he and him. It was on basically all the words. Uh, every, every noun would have like a, something showing whether it's in subject or object position. And that way you could move your sentence around more. Uh, so let's look at the example, like the sentence, I looked at the sun. Okay. I looked at the sun. So the sun here, the sun here is the object, right? It's the object of the sentence. So in old English, we would use the word sunan. Sounds nice, doesn't it? I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Very sorry to any old English speakers out there who are shouting at their laptops now. You're not pronouncing it correctly. Well, sorry. But yeah, we would say, with for I looked at the sun, sun would be sunan. Um, so it wouldn't really matter if you put it before or after the verb, because we have this sunan word showing us that it's the object. If I wanted to say the sun shines brightly today, which feels really old English, doesn't it? It feels very old and and nice and quaint and romanticised. Um, So, yeah, the sun shines brightly today. Well, the sun is in subject position. So I would use the word sunne or sunne, not sunan, to show that the sun is doing something. It's using a verb. It's the subject of the sentence. Okay, so this is quite straightforward, right? It's quite simple. Um, We would basically mark each noun for subject and for object Um, and as a result, it would mean we can just change the order of the words around. It wouldn't matter because we know who, who's doing doing something and we know who's having something done to them. And, yeah, and changing the order of words can be quite fun. It can emphasise things slightly. You can put something at the beginning and then you're probably emphasising the thing at the beginning. Uh, um, you can put the verb at the beginning and... and it, it it sort of emphasizes the verb. I'm not really sure exactly how people did this in Old English because I'm not a not an expert in Old English, but in theory, that's what you have. You can move things around. But we we lost all that. Um, with the Norman invasion shortly afterwards, as English evolved from Old English to Middle English, we kind of basically the, lost the tense system the tense, not the tense system uh, the case system it all started disappearing and as a result our word order is quite rigid now which is um, which does mean we've kind of lost something, it means that we don't have that ability to move words around in order to emphasise certain parts of the sentence so how do we do that? How do we emphasize certain parts of the sentence? What if we want to emphasize the object? Or what if we want to emphasize the subject? Or what if we want to emphasize the verb, even? How do we do it? Well, instead of using word order, we have two strategies, two main strategies to do this. So in order to illustrate this, I want to uh, give you a little story. A little story about what happened to me, what happened to me feels like it was some sort of traumatic event. What happened during one of my lessons uh, a long time ago now, this is probably about 10 years ago, I was teaching English, of course, in Istanbul. Uh, I think this was one of my favorite, uh, my favorite classes. They were fantastic. Sometimes as a teacher, you just end up with a really great class and they love being taught by you, and they're very intelligent, and they they take risks, and they really learn a lot, and and they're also fun to teach. So I was with that class, and I decided to use some Turkish to illustrate how we do this in English. So in Turkish, I won't go into too much details, but you have this uh, particle, mi, and mi is basically creating a question. So I took a sentence that basically means, are you getting me a beer? And I moved the me to emphasize different parts of the sentence. So um, we have the neutral one where you're just using a normal question. But then I would move the me next to beer and the beer would be emphasized. And I'd move me next to me and me would be emphasized. And I'd move me next to you and you would be emphasized. So this is an example of how moving things in Turkish can uh, emphasize different uh different words in the sentence. So I I did this in Turkish. So I had the first neutral sentence and I got the students to translate it and they said, "Yes, are you getting me a beer?" That was the the translation. Then I moved the me to emphasize beer. And they didn't really know what to do at first, but they came out with are you getting me a beer? So they used their pronunciation to emphasize the different part of the sentence, the word beer. And then I did it again, you know, and they would just use their pronunciation again. Are you getting me a beer? Are you getting me a beer? Are you getting me a beer? Um, and they, their 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 instinct showed them that they should use their pronunciation to stress to emphasize different parts of the sentence. And yeah, that's what we can do in English. Instead of moving the words around, we can just use our voices, our wonderful, powerful voices to emphasise different parts of a sentence. And that's great. But the point I was trying to make in the lesson wasn't that. It wasn't a pronunciation lesson. It was actually um about the second way we can do this. And that's with... um what what I call cleft sentences, what some people call cleft sentences. Um, so you can use the grammar to do that. So are you getting me a beer is neutral. Then is it a beer that you're getting for me? Is it me you're getting a beer for? Is it you who's getting a beer? So it's quite complex, but we would use these um, uh, different sentence structures to emphasize the words. And that's it. Like, that's very useful. I recommend you do that. You can use your pronunciation or you can use uh, these sort of cleft sentences to to emphasize different parts of a sentence. But I want to... Okay, so I want you to think about that and especially using word order to move things around because we're going to go back to these sorts of mistakes the mistakes from the beginning of the podcast episode. So what were the examples I had? Oh, yes. I'm giving also the pen to him and you have only to look at her. Um, Yes, so we have these two sentences and they're a little bit unnatural. Um, We're going to look at these in a second. But one more story before we do. I want to talk about a time when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, eating was a tough ordeal. Eating was very, very difficult. And one time I had to eat this soup. I must have been about six or seven years old. You know, when eating is just like a complete nightmare when you're a child, you think the world is ending. And I had this green soup. It was some sort of like spinach soup, but it it had this thick rubbery skin it looked absolutely disgusting and it felt absolutely disgusting it probably tasted fine but when you're a kid you're you're, as soon as you've decided you don't like something that's it and that's what happened to me and i still had to eat this skin i had to eat the skin on the top of the soup so there's that neutral sentence we i had to eat the skin on the top of the soup Now, what if I want to add some? What if I wanted to add a word like also? I I want to insert the word also because it's not just the soup, but it's also the horrible, disgusting, green, thick, rubbery stuff on the top of it. Where would I put this word also? Okay, so words like also, only just, sometimes, always, already, these sort of one-word grammatical words. They're they're not actual grammar, but they have a very strong grammatical function. These words, they have a neutral place in a sentence, and that place is not where you think it is. In most languages, most European languages at least, but I've seen it in... I've seen this with uh, Turkish students too, and I'm sure other students have this issue, people tend to put these words between the verb and the object. In this sentence, we would say, we had to eat also the skin on the top of the soup. But this isn't the natural place in English. If you put something there between the verb and the object, this is like a sacred part of the sentence. Between the verb and the object, you put something there, you're blowing up the universe. This is when you erupt the sentence. It becomes like a gigantic sign. It becomes so, so noticeable. Um, this little bit between verb and object for some reason in English is the most tightly connected part of a sentence. When we say a verb, the English-speaking mind is panicking until the object is there if you say we had to eat immediately you're thinking what what did you have to eat what did you have to eat tell me tell me tell me and it does not relax until the object is there so this verb object area is sacred it's very difficult to break it up Um, you break it up you're splitting the atom you're destroying the universe Um, but actually you know what you can put something there but when you do people really will notice and that can be useful we will come to that we will come to, we will talk about why that's actually useful but first i want to just look at the neutral example so we all know where we are so we have this sim- simple sentence we i had to eat the skin on the top of the soup let's put also in the neutral place i also had to eat the skin on the top of the soup that's it. Before the main verb, before that first verb, I also had to eat the skin. And that's really the only truly neutral place to put a word like also, or sometimes, or only, or just, or any of these sort of grammatical uh words. If you say this sentence, I also had to eat, I also had to eat the skin, It will fit neatly into the other sentences you say around it. It won't stand out. It will be a neutral sentence, which is great because most of the time that is what you want. Now, this is kind of weird for a lot of my students, um, maybe including yourself. I mean, you want to move that word also around, right? Your instinct is to put it next to the thing that you want to also if I, the thing that you want to highlight is also uh, in this case, the skin on top of the soup. You want to emphasize the skin, so you want to put also next to the skin. But if you do that, you destroy the universe. You're splitting the atom. You put it in the sacred place between the verb and the object. So let's let's look at this sentence. We had to eat also the skin oh wow boom 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 we all just died i mean just kidding the thing is you can actually say this but it's so so strong you're really emphasizing something when you do this like a lot uh, you've just put a gigantic flag on that soup skin a huge flag with lots of arrows and flashing lights that you can see from the planet mars Bigger than the Great Wall of China. Basically, this sentence is stronger than you probably wanted it to be. If you want to seriously emphasize the skin, then cool, do it. But bear in mind, it's a very strong emphasis. You might be better off just using your pronunciation, for example. We also had to eat the skin of the soup. See what I did there? We also had to eat the skin of the soup. Or perhaps throw in an extra two as well. We also had to eat the skin of the soup too. So, yeah, there are other ways of doing it. Um, And there are other ways of destroying the universe of our sensitive English language ears that are obsessed with word order, even when you have a word like also, which you should be able to move. It's still sensitive. We're still very, very strict about word order, but there are other ways of moving it around, right? Let's move it around dif- to different parts of the sentence. Uh, what happens when we say also we had to eat the skin? Now you see how that changes the meaning a bit, right? Also we had to eat the skin. You're alsoing. Whole sentence you're putting also, and it it kind of represents the whole sentence. So, in context, I will assume that there was some other terrible thing you had to do before. You might have said, you might be saying something like, Yes, I had to do my homework for two hours, and also I had to eat the skin on the soup. You know, you're adding one big thing to another big thing. Let's move it along. We also had to eat the skin. Okay, we talked about that. That's the neutral position. We don't really... We're not really saying anything. We're just saying we also had to eat the skin. Also could refer to we. uh, Probably could also refer to have to or to eat or to the skin. Again, your pronunciation or the context or both will show you which one you mean. What if we move it again? We had also to eat the skin. Oof. This is my least favourite. It's probably the most unnatural sounding example. I'll say it sounds weird. It's possible. But when you have two verbs together, like had to eat, you know, these verbs, they're friends. Don't break them up. They're friends. Leave them alone. They want to be together. Like, you know, he enjoyed living here. Enjoy and living. They're happy together. Don't break them up. Don't say... Uh he enjoyed also living here. It it just sounds really strange. Again, you could if you really want to emphasise living, but there are better ways to do it on the whole. Um, so yeah, we had to eat the skin also. What happens when we put also at the end there? Well, that's fine. Uh, the end of the sentence is quite a neutral place. It's slightly emphasised. There's a small flag. There's some small lights, but you can't see it from the planet Mars. You can see it from Hull, maybe, or uh, maybe just upstairs. You didn't destroy the universe totally. Just the area around Ipswich, which is fine. No one really cares about Ipswich. But, okay, I mean, I'm saying this, but I don't really want to make these into rules. Language is flexible. We bend grammar rules all the time. We play with the language. And every time we do it, we are achieving something. We are making some sort of point. I just want you to ask yourself, am I destroying the universe here? Am I putting a flag that's just too big and too bright on a bit of my sentence? Am I disrupting the flow of my speaking by putting flashing lights everywhere? If you want to avoid that, put words like also and sometimes and only and just and these kinds of words, put them in the neutral position which is just before the main verb. A side note here. If you have an auxiliary, most tenses have an auxiliary verb. You know what I mean. Like, um, he will go, will is an auxiliary. Or, um, I have been, have is the auxiliary. If you have an auxiliary, make sure you use it before. So, it's between the auxiliary and the verb. The easy way to think about it, though, is it's before the main verb. So, Present simple, I ate, I also ate. Present continuous, we have an auxiliary. I'm eating, I'm also eating. Uh, Should, modal verb. I should eat, I should also eat. Every time, just before the main verb. Present perfect, I've eaten, I've also eaten. What about a complicated one? Present perfect continuous, I've been eating. Okay, I've also been eating. So just after the auxiliary, just before the main verb, you see what's happening, right? Okay, that's it. Great. Just don't destroy the universe unless you really want to. And if you really want to, then go for it. Boom, boom, boom. Bright lights, signs big enough to be seen from the planet Mars. You want to emphasize that part of the sentence. You really want to stress that skin on the pea soup, then do it. Go ahead, be my guest. Uh, but yeah, make sure that you get Ipswich first. No one cares about Ipswich. Man, we're going to get so many complaints. I'm sure. I'm sure we've got like five listeners in Ipswich. <laughs> we probably don't. Don't worry. We're safe. We're safe from the Ipswitchians. Um, yeah, but that's it. Uh, feel free to use. Uh, this to exaggerate and uh, blow up the universe and make a strong point but if you don't want to make a strong point which i suspect is most of the time put it in the neutral position before the verb okay thank you very much lovely clark and miller listeners thank you everyone no matter where you're listening from even if you're listening from Ipswich. I'm sorry, it was just a little joke. I haven't been to Ipswich. I'm sure it's lovely. I hear there's a wonderful transport museum there. So, great. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. And, uh, yeah, uh, one more time, I'll just let you know, uh, you can get uh, free lessons in the form of our blog on ClarkAndMiller.com. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, Our Facebook tag is um, Big Metal Buildings Made of grass no not really uh facebook uh is clark and miller of course so yeah follow us on facebook um send me an email if you have any questions or any comments or if especially if you disagree with something i've said i like it when people disagree you can have a good conversation that way so it's gabriel at clarkandmiller.com meanwhile thanks for listening and i will catch you next time